Hello everyone, welcome to Ubi Est Mia. My name is Brandon Weatherby. This is a really fun episode with Samson McCormick. Samson McCormick is a current Oakland resident, but in reality, he's a traveling comic. Uh, you might have seen him at Chicago Pride. You might have seen him at the historic Howard Theater in Washington, D.C. You might have seen him at a nude resort in Virginia. You might have seen him on a cruise ship. He goes to a lot of places, and he's able to win over every crowd that I've been in. I really, really enjoy Samson McCormick. Samson and I never lived in Chicago at the same time. But the last time I was in Chicago for the summer, I was on the same flight with Samson. And uh, comedy ensued. He's a very, very funny man, and you should see him live whenever you can. His website is at samsoncomedy.com. I cannot vouch for this man enough. I enjoy his comedy. And uh, you could buy his books, you could buy his records, he's got a documentary that will soon be available on streaming platforms across the internet. Without further ado, here's a very fun chat with Samson McCormick. I want to talk to you about Chicago. You're not originally from Chicago, but the last summer I was in Chicago, I ran into you because you were about to perform in Chicago for Pride, and you've spent a lot of time in Chicago. You are one of the most travel-friendly comics that I know. You're, you'll. <laughs> well, I gotta be. You know, if I if I want to make a living on the road, you know, I gotta be. I re- and I and I enjoy it. It is depressing because I meet a lot of cool people. You know, and you you kick it with them, and they're actually people you think you could like really kick it with on a regular basis, and you gotta leave. So that's the that's the bummer. But yeah, I really do enjoy traveling. What about Chicago do you enjoy? Has it shaped you in any way? Uh, you want me to be honest? Yes. Chicago has some of the most gorgeous men I've ever seen in my life. Okay? Um, I don't know if there's something in the water. I don't know what it is, but that's one thing. Our president is from Chicago, is second. And um, outside of the wintertime, Chicago is just overall... Uh, one of the most beautiful places in America. Like, what's not to love about Chicago? Um, one thing that I know, I know about Chicago is Chicago, even though it's its own city, it kind of, ha- it, it's, it's still, I think, the Midwest. And, um, but you still have to bring it and it, and, and bring it in that New York sense of bringing it type of way. So they really like for you to, you know, come there and bring it. But everything is also still on the table. So, in that regard, it's kind of helped me uh, to be able to just kind of all around let go whenever I come to Chicago. It's one of those cities you can come to and let go, um, especially if you're working on things or if you're being more experimental in your comedy. Like, that's definitely one of the places that I prefer to come to uh, when I'm doing it. Any specific venues you'd like to perform in when you're in Chicago? Um, I like, even though I don't get to do many of these places that I'm naming, I do more nightclubs and stuff like that, but I, I do love Zanies. Uh, Zanies is like, cause it's like a comedy club. So, you know, you get to do the, uh, the, the Wednesday show, the Thursday show, two Friday, two Saturday. I love doing that type of thing. Um, and second city is also a really cool place. You know, that can be a challenge of getting in there. Um, but I do like a lot of the nightclubs and stuff when I'm there. You do anywhere. You do colleges. You'll do. Aren't you doing a cruise ship this year? <laughs> I sure enough am. I do cruise ships. I do doctor's offices. I do Popeye's lobbies. I do down at the gas station. I do laundromats, STD clinics, 
anywhere where they call and they think comedy is a good idea to have I go. Um, because, you know, of course, you know, comedy clubs are cool, but I'm, I think you know this, uh, Brandon, that because you've been in this for a while, too, you know, um, it's kind of changed, you know, um, because comedy was about uh, just being funny at one time, and now it's more about, you know, cash. So rather, rather than bringing in people who've been doing it for a while um, and have the credits and those types of things, you know, more and more people are doing comedy now, right? So why would a lot of the club bookers pay, um, you know, comics, professional comics to come in when you get five people who want to be comics really, really bad and had them to bring five or ten people apiece and keep the door? Um and so for comics, that's been a challenge for a lot of us to just find the work wherever we can. So I make fun out of it, but shoot, I go where the gigs are. For sure. You'll also do theaters. It's not like you're just doing random stuff. You'll sell out a theater. Oh, no, 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 no. I just go there to get that random money. Oh, yeah. Like the next time you're in Washington, D.C., where I'm from and where we met, you're going to be at the Howard Theater. But... It's not your yeah. show. You're doing a diva show. You're doing a drag show. You're not performing in drag. You're performing no, on the show. Be, yeah, just on the show. But you recorded your last album there. Your 2014 album was recorded in that theater. Yeah, yeah, we recorded it uh, at Howard Theater, yes. Which is a real theater. Howard Theater is uh, original vaudeville house for a lot of black entertainment. So, you know... Um, back before they were letting African-American entertainers perform anywhere else, you know, you had Moms Mabley and Red Fox and uh, Pig Meat Markham and Pig Leg Bates and all those folks. They were performing at the Howard Theater. Um, and Howard Theater is a theater in the same vein, uh, that's in the same vein of an Apollo or something like that. There were about eight theaters where black folks went to see our entertainers because we couldn't perform anywhere else. Um, so it's it's not just the, any theater. It's also like a really historic theater. So it was a, definitely an honor to, you know, headline the venue. Absolutely. Um, I, I'm sorry if it came off that it was not. Uh, that's not what I meant. I apologize. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. I totally get it. But, you know, it, I'm still really like the whole when I was up on stage, you know, and even when people like who know the history and, you know, they bring those things up. I still uh, like to embellish and uh, and go into all the facts because when I was on that stage doing that show, uh, that's what I kept repeating in my head. I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but you're somewhere, you're on a stage or you're performing with somebody and you're like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm doing this show here. And that's what was going through my head the entire hour that I was on that stage. That's lovely. Now, how do you approach the stage if you're doing Pride in Chicago versus doing your own headlining concert for an album recording at a theater versus performing for a bunch of people you're going to see all week on a cruise ship and you're all stuck there? <laughs> um, kind of all the same, except for if you're doing something, you know, like Pride or any large festival in front of a group of, or, or a large group of people, um, that you don't really need so much preparation for. I think it just requires you to uh, know the audience. That's one thing that you have to do wherever you're performing at, or no matter what audience you're in front of, being able to adapt for that audience. So with the Pride audience, or say I'm performing, you know, down at 
the Capitol or at the Kennedy Center or something like that, you know, for some sort of uh, event like that that's similar to that. It's kind of just taking your own personality out there. And it really works great if you're not an asshole, um, you know, and just going out there and and having fun with people, you know, um, make it lighthearted, break the ice, because a lot of people come out there by themselves and you got families in corners, friends in corners and bringing everybody together, which I do at a regular show anyway um, with a um with a cruise ship, cruise ships are my favorite because I have done several cruise ships over the past few years. And if you get on there and you put on a good show, um, you will never have to buy any alcohol. Okay. Um, which is great. I, Oh my God, I had so much alcohol when I was performing on there. Um, and they're actually some of the best audiences. So good. In fact, that I think, um, it depends on what your discipline is as an entertainer, because I know I'm still listening to tapes and, you know, writing and, and rewriting and all those different things. But cruise audiences are so good um, that you kind of will lose your technique if you aren't careful because, you know, people are on there drunk, ready to have a good time. Mm-hmm. Um, unless you do a late night show, late night shows, people are drunk and angry and like, Come on, Brad, you got that invited part. You know, they won't let you set up a joke. So so that's good for crowd work. Um, but overall, those are really good shows, party crowds. And then um, comedy clubs and things like that, it's just a lot of preparation because you're basically doing a presentation in front of a group of people who are there, and they're like, make me laugh. And, and that's what that is. So it's kind of the same thing but different techniques for each one, but the same principles. Well, you also have books. That's different. People go home and read those books. You're not reading those books to the people. But the documentary, you have a new documentary. It's about you, Mm -hmm. a tough act to follow. You're going to inevitably be at some screenings. So uh, we did did the world premiere in D.C. uh, April the 22nd. And we're working on a Bay Area premiere. Uh, there also will be two screenings in, I believe, Raleigh, North Carolina, and I think Charlotte, North Carolina. And uh, it may be coming to Chicago in July uh, with the Black Alphabet Film Festival. Um, there are some other screenings that we're working on, and there may be one in Boston next month. So there there are screenings, but ultimately... Uh, where we want to get it onto some sort of streaming uh, network, whether it be Hulu or uh, Netflix or something like that, because um, a lot of people, and because, you know, of course, you know, I'm a, not only am I a black comic, but I'm also an LGBT comic. Um, it really focuses on the homophobia and sexism that does exist in, in comedy in a lot of places. And um, it really challenges those things because even though there aren't a lot of us, you know, running around, um, we exist and some of us are really good and deserve opportunities. So it really focuses on that. And it also focuses on um, the fact that you still don't see a lot of women um, headlining a lot of different venues, even though you do have some, some really good uh, women comics out now as well. Um women of color and, and just women in general aren't given the same opportunities and neither are like disabled comics and, and other, you know, comics that exist even in small quantities, but you don't get to see a lot on like a comedy central or something like that. And I think, I don't know if you saw this the day they released 
a list of the 17 half-hour specials that Comedy Central is doing this year. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe two black folks are on there. Uh, one uh, person who is a Native American, I believe, a partner who me and her did comedy in D.C. together. Um, and other than that, it's just like a bunch of white boys. Yeah, exactly. It's pretty great for me. I got to tell you, if you ever want to be a straight white man, it's the best. Right. One of the things that I always wondered, um, in addition to being a black man, in addition to being a gay man, you're from the South. Oh, yeah. I think as someone from Chicago, that's another built-in prejudice against anybody from the South. You think so? You think people look at us a little bit differently? I know for sure Chicago comedy crowds look at people that have an accent like that a little bit differently. It's usually a forgiving I mean, accent, rather or forgiving idea. Whether or not that's fair is not what I'm saying, but I definitely know that there's a different perception. Yeah, and I do notice that, like when I'm, because there's certain words that I just cannot say, you know, without that accent coming through rearing its head. Like I still can't say the word is C O <laughs> the word is C O U S I N and I still say I say it C U Z Z Z I I N. So it's like I say cousin instead of hold on, you say it cousin, cousin. right? Cousin. But it goes both ways. I have a hard time saying that word. It goes both ways. Earlier in this little chat, you said asshole, but you said it in a way that was charming and it made it seem not like a slur. <laughs> well, I mean, and, and that's a part of the Southern charm, you know. It's, so, And I think that, that that's also helped my comedy in, in a lot of ways because, you know, um, you know, I mean, comedy is, is, and just like any other art, it's very subjective. So you're speaking what you know and i think that that makes the best comedy so of course what i know is i I know what my experiences have been growing up as a black person um and every other part of my identity you know um and i talk about those things because i'm not going to get up and change a pronoun or you know not talk about what my experiences really are and i do have the privilege of going in front of audiences that normally probably would not come out and see me you know and i think that that uh southern charm does help are you single right now? Oh. <laughs> well, just come right out and ask me, why don't you? I uh, <laughs> Here's why I ask. You don't have to tell me, but I, I always wonder this. Because in addition to the travel, which is a good amount, you're out there a lot. You're also performing on places that are tough to maintain relationships. A cruise ship is not the most relationship-friendly place. It's... Oh, I know. Who in, you addition to that, in addition to that, you're also performing at Prides across the country. Another place, maybe not the easiest way to maintain uh, Well, with Pride, uh, if you have standards, uh, that wouldn't be too hard. Who wants to sleep with a gay man in a pamper? That could be an album title. Gay man in a pamper. Who wants to sleep <laughs> with a gay man in a pamper? You know what? I would say a lot of people. Well, there are some, you know, there are some, but I'm not one of them. Do you want to have a long-term partner in your career? Do you think it would slow you down? (sighs) That's a good question. Um, 
I think that it can, uh, but you have to have the right mindset about it. There has there have to be understandings, um, and there are ways to to manage that. You know, because I have over the years been in several situations, um, and I haven't allowed any of them to slow me down. Um, but it can, I mean, cause some people, and that's why, okay, this is so wrong. <laughs> this is so wrong, but that's why you don't get into anything that's going to make you overly happy. You just get into something that, you know, you're happy in, but at the same time, y'all aren't like up under each other. And it's, you got to get with somebody who's going to kick your ass out of the bed and say, okay, you need to go tell some jokes. Plus with me, I, if I went, you know, um, uh, Without like me, if I'm not on like now, if I'm not on stage now for a week, you can see the difference in my personality. Like I'm sitting in the house drinking forties and you know watching TV, cussing at, looking at more, cussing at the television, eating the crackers and tuna fish, smoking cigarettes. I'm a hot mess. But when I'm on stage, you know, it's I'm I'm really uh, centered. I told somebody actually not too long ago that it to me, you know, being on stage is kind of like a form of meditation because. You know, it's not, you're not sitting there actually meditating, you know, with your eyes closed, you know, and visualizing anything. But uh, I just, for me, and, you know, different people have different methods before they get on stage. But for me, I'm the most mentally organized when I'm on stage because I have to kind of know what what I'm going to talk about. uh, Or even if I don't know what I'm going to talk about, the direction that it's going to go in. And most of all, I'm relaxed because I want to be my most authentic self on stage because that's when you are the whatever the essence of your funny is it comes out when you're relaxed so you're never funny when you're trying to be funny you're always funniest when you're sitting around like you are with your friends drinking beer smoking talking shit about people on the front porch and i go up on the stage with that type of attitude and i usually have really good shows how long did it take you to have that be the norm for it to be comfortable on stage? Years, because um, now I've been doing it 15 years. And oh, sl- the- wait, 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 stop, stop, stop. Say that again? I've been doing this for 15 years. How old are you? 30. I started when I was 15. I didn't know you said I was 15? Yeah, I started when I was 15. I was At first, I was uh, doing, like, you know, talent shows and churches and little, uh, what do they call them? Um, neighborhood festival block parties and that type of thing i would get on stage and i didn't know how to tell a joke but you know i would get up on stage and say things that i thought were funny and make faces and do a lot of physical comedy whatever it took to get the laugh so it was the same thing um and then when i got in high school my uh english teacher pulled me out because i never got suspended for fighting in class or any of that type of stuff it was always for being a smart ass so my English teacher took me by the back of my shirt and jacked me up and threw me out of class one day. And she told me, what you're going to do tonight is you're going to go to a comedy club and or open mic and you're going to find a place to perform. And um, I didn't know that you could go perform at like a coffee shop or something like that. Um, so immediately I went, uh, this was uh, when the internet was first becoming a thing. So I went and Googled, uh, I know it was ass. You remember ass.com? Yeah. The, with yeah. The, the butler. So I went on there and I typed in comedy clubs, DC. And um, 
this is back when Death Comedy Jam and Comic View and, and those black comedy television shows were really a thing. And I found uh, Teddy's House of Comedy, which was a comedy club in Chinatown in D.C. And I went there, and the lady at the front window, she didn't give a damn. Um, she just wanted me to know, you know, what was up. So, And she could clearly tell that I was underage. So she asked me, she goes, well, how old are you? So I go, um, oh, I'm, I'm, uh, by then I was 16. She goes, how old are you? And I said, 16. And she said, I'm going to ask you this one more time. And you getting in here Wednesday, getting this five minutes is going to ride on your answer. How old are you? And she looked at me and I said, oh, 18. And she said, very good. A bouncer's awesome. gonna meet you at the back door, and so after that first week, the first week I went there, it was horrible. Like I bombed. It was it was so sad. Um, and then I left the club and got robbed. <laughs> and yeah, I got robbed. They took uh, a cell phone, a camera, uh, some because I, I used to do a lot of prop comedy. I had like those twenty five cent teeth that you get out the little. Uh, those little displays up at the front of the grocery store, you put a quarter in and you get little toys out of there. I had like some toy teeth that I got out of there and I had uh, some French fries and they took all that stuff. So they took your toy teeth. They took everything. I'm sorry. I was going to laugh. I apologize. (laughs) You asshole. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but they, they, they took all that stuff and, um, and I had a Jordan jersey on, so they, of course they took that. Because um, I went down there wearing my very best. And it wasn't at the comedy club that I got robbed. It's not like they followed me out like, hey, tell us some horrible jokes, give us your stuff. This was on the way home. And that was just a horrible night. Um, and, yeah, and they and they pistol with me, too. So I got hit in the mouth with a with the butt of a gun because I'm standing there looking confused because nothing like this had ever happened to me before. And um I couldn't talk for two weeks. So um at the end of that two weeks I went back to the comedy club and, and did it like a whole set just about getting robbed and how black people don't help you when they see you getting your ass whooped. And the audience look because for some reason black audiences love to hear about you getting your ass whooped <laughs> and uh, yeah, that got a standing ovation. And so after that, I was like, okay, this is what I need to be doing. And I haven't stopped since then. You are, that is the best story. I know I'm, I'm not saying it's good that you got pistol whipped at 16 years old. What I'm saying is <laughs> you, you have a better origin story than pretty much any comic I've ever met. That is hilarious. Yeah. It's, it was it was something else, you know, and, and, and those were the shows that I was doing. Yeah, so it was, because, I mean, back then, you know, and I'm pretty sure you watched Def Comedy Jam before. Yes, I And, have. you know, so any black audience that you got in front of back then, that's how they used to respond. So if you went out there and you weren't funny, they didn't give a damn that you were 16 years old. They would, And thank God I've never been booed off the stage, but I have had chicken wings thrown at me before. And... They used to throw chicken, and you know you're doing bad if you make some black folks throw their chicken. They used to throw chicken. They would holler at you, no, get your ass off the stage. Um, they would throw candles. And what would happen is if you were doing really bad, there was this big-ass dude. Like, he was a huge, big black. He looked like a milk dud. 
and he used to sit in the back of the club and he was about he was a big black dude like really 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 dark skinned and he had yellow eyes so i don't know if he had a kidney problem or what but and it was funny because the host who his, his, the host his name was skiba and he used to always be like hey man you got kidney problems why are your eyes so yellow and it's like you could see them glowing in the back of the club and he was a big fat dude he was like six foot eight and he used to sit in the back with a fedora and two really skinny girls and um you know you were doing bad because he would stand up in the back of the club and he would just stand up and like stare at you until you got off the stage <laughs> and he stood up on me one time and the fact that i talked shit to him for some reason that won him over so he always used to tell me if anybody ever fuck with you in this club man you come get you come get big ed now make sure i take care of him all right and um and then he would like try to give you a handshake and like drag you halfway across that man was crazy Okay. <laughs> you, that club was something else. You're in Oakland now. Yeah, I live in Oakland. I'm assuming that's you don't have any like home clubs like that right now. Uh, you know, comedy has changed a lot now. So that was one of the things that made me love doing. And you know, and 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 one thing. And by the way, that club that I was just telling you about in DC, that club closed. Oh yeah. And it, you know, it was. It was it was that one in Tacoma Station. Those were the two clubs that black comics used to do, and I didn't I did not know that you could be a black comic and get in front of, you know, uh, white people or anybody else and make them laugh. So it took that club closing, and me not doing comedy for about three months, to go. Okay, I need to start doing this again. And there used to be a website in D.C. called I don't know it might still be up. I haven't been on it. Um, but there was a website called DC Stand Up, and it used to list all the DC comics, and it used to have all the places you could go do comedy in DC. So they used to there used to be a place you could go do comedy every night in DC. I used to go to uh, to Topaz Hotel on Thursday nights, and on Mondays I would go to Soho Cafe and Dupont Circle, and those were primarily white audiences, and I didn't know. <laughs> anything other than, you know, trying to, because even though I used to do gay jokes here and there, I wasn't completely out the closet. So I was selective about what audience I would do it in front of. Um, mostly because of the, the responses that it got in the black clubs. Because at black clubs, you know, they would be like, don't come in here with that. You know, um, white audiences were more understanding of it. So that's where I was able to really develop it to a point where I was able to get really great material and then go back to, you know, urban rooms and be able to kill with the gay material. Um, but being able to perform in like Topaz and Soho and Bossa up in Adams Morgan in DC. Um, and then I was traveling too. So back then I came to, I was, I was in New York and I think I came to Chicago and did a few rooms in Chicago and places. And those were, white audiences and white people were laughing and I didn't know that I could make white folks laugh until I got outside of those clubs I was in. You can make anyone laugh at this point. You know that. What is the project of yours that you haven't finished? Is there anything that you've actually attempted to do and just haven't been able to figure it out? Or do you always finish? And when I want to do something, I do it. <laughs> so it's, I tell I I tell a lot of my friends, I say if it ever comes to a point where which I'm healthy as a horse now, but you know, you never know what might happen. God forbid I need to find some wood to knock on, you know. 
Um, I said, but I know one way that I would stay alive if anything, anything, <laughs> is give me a project, a long-term ass project, like something that takes me about five years to finish, and I will not die until that thing is done. Like that's me. Uh, so anything like the film that we just did, it took me a year and a half to do that film. Uh, the books that I've that I've done, it took me a year to write both of those. Then I have a new book that'll be out this year that it's it's taken me three years to write this book. Uh, and I'm working on a new comedy album now, and I'm working on writing a film, and um, just working on some of everything. And so most of that stuff is just like if I keep, because you get busy, you know. So it's just you have to know how to discipline yourself and how to you know, say, okay, because I mean, even if you want to write a book, like there are no excuses for you not to do or finish anything that you want to finish. There's so much opportunity for success, period, comic or whatever, doctor, lawyer, you know, um, weed man, whatever you want to do is plenty of opportunity out here for you to succeed in that profession. So for me, when it's writing, which, um, I don't usually write a lot of my jokes. What I do is I, I have to be on stage because I develop material on stage. Like I might come up with a word that makes me laugh and I write that word down and then I take it on stage and play around with it. That's how I develop material. Now with my writing, say I want to write a book. If you, every night before bed, write three pages at the end of the week, and you can do that for five days, that's uh, what, 15 pages, three, six, nine, 12, 15. So, um, 30, 60, let's see, uh, yeah, 30 and 30, that's 60 pages at the end of a month. If you do that for two to three months, you have a book. So it is, but you have to be, of course, committed to that. that so there's no excuse. A lot of people go, oh, I want to write a book. I don't have time. You do have time. If you would like more information about Samson McCormick, go to samsoncomedy.com. Also, the link for that is right there in the show description. Just click on that. It'll take you right there. Thanks to Samson for taking time out of his day to do this. I like him a lot. If you are in Chicago, Illinois, and since you're listening to the show, I have a feeling that you're in Chicago, Illinois. I will be hosting my other show, You, Me, Them, Everybody, on May 26th at the Hunger Brain in Chicago, Illinois. That's 2319 West Belmont. You, me, them, everybody at the Hungry Brain. I'm very excited to do that show. Co-host is Esmeralda Leone. You might know her from this station. She's on here almost every single night with Nick DeGilio, so come to that show. Our theme songs are written by Daniel Knox, and our art is by Dimitri Samaroff. Thanks for listening, and have a wonderful night. Won't help you if you should